The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 22 Those Never Lost Are Unprepared June 2002 After finding that weird spot in the forest behind Mugsuvius, Lana and I called Crown and Sam. They both arrived a few minutes later to check it out. Crown took another sample and snapped a few photos. Sam mentioned that maybe we would get some answers when we went to see Logan tomorrow, but I couldn't imagine that an old children's book would really give us what we needed. From Mugsuvius, I went to the studio and tried to get through my show. It went okay. I got home and wrote a poem that night, spilling a few words out onto the page without much concern for the form they took. A cocktail made out of vodka, a summery night full of stars, a gun to your head and you're laughing, a wintergreen night that's all yours. That one was about Sam, of course. Wasn't everything about Sam back then? Isn't it still? And it was about me. And it wasn't about either one of us. It was words, dripping out onto the page, serving as connective tissue between my brain and the theoretical readers, who would probably never even end up reading this thing. It's funny. As I got older, I found myself thinking less and less about publishing anything I wrote and more and more about using it as a personal calming device, a sort of mood-stabilizing drug that didn't require a prescription. That night, I did something I hadn't done in probably 15 years. I turned on the little lamp by my bed and I left it on all night. It wasn't exactly that I was scared of the dark. That would be a huge oversimplification. It was that everything felt uncertain. Everything felt cold and angry, and it was almost as if leaving the light on made me feel warm and in control. I slept easily for once, but of course, with ease of sleep came ease of dreams. It seemed like I was always dreaming these days. Clouds cover the sky, and I can hear the rain in the distance. Every once in a while, the sky lights up with a purplish-green lightning, followed by the low rumble of thunder. I'm standing in the ocean, and I slowly begin to back out. Something brushes against my ankle as I do. The tide follows me in, carrying strange little bits of carnage with it. The water is full of what looks like dead jellyfish. Their tiny, rust-brown bodies tumble over each other, globbing up against my leg. I shudder at the feel of it, but I can't seem to get out of the water any faster. I can hear something up in the sky, beyond the thunder, beyond the wind, and beyond the tide that swirls around my feet. It's a rumble so low that I feel it far more clearly than I hear it. 
The sound shakes the sand beneath my feet and fills the air with vibrations so strong that they sound like voices. It comes into view a few seconds later. There's something on the horizon. A deep shadow moves across whatever is left of the sun, and I feel my brain beginning to twist and warp. I feel like I can't see right. The horizon seems to be rising and falling like the ocean waves, and I can't see where the ocean ends in any direction. When I turn around, all I see is water. I look up at the sky, and the shadow is taking a clearer shape. I can see something like vines descending from the clouds, only they're not vines. They belong to the thing in the sky. I feel my lungs tightening. I can see a blinding light on the horizon. It isn't the sun. It's like the sun, but a thousand times brighter. Angry white light takes up my entire field of vision. I hold up my hands, trying to look through my fingers so I don't go blind. Against the backdrop of light, I see the hulking shape of the creature emerge from the cloud, sending dazzling light in every direction. It's asleep, I think. I don't know how I know that, but I do. I watch it as it hangs there. In this dream, the creature is still, and somehow that's just as scary as if it was thrashing around. It waits up in the sky like a sleeper or a carcass, and somehow I think the hibernating thing must be just as terrible as the waking. Suddenly, the world in front of me begins to recede. It's as if I'm being sucked out of my own dream by a vacuum. The ocean and the monster above it grow smaller and smaller, until they are just a speck on the horizon, and I'm surrounded by a fuzzy, dull gray. It's the kind of gray that you see in clouds above valleys. It's like the electricity coming off a TV screen filled with static. It sounds like muffled classical music. It encompasses everything, making me feel cold and mildewy in some sort of strange way. The world around me begins to fade more quickly, like an old TV screen turning off. Everything turns dark and I feel myself tipping backwards. The gray around me begins to form into something familiar. I see the shape of a table. I'm slouched over in a booth in a place I recognize, although I'm not entirely sure why I recognize it. I try to look up, but true to dream logic, I find that my body does not do what I ask of it. Instead, I'm lying there, paralyzed as the world begins to take shape around me. There's a voice, insistent but wordless. I can't see where it's coming from. I'm aware of other people moving around the place. It's like I can feel the air that they displace. A familiar scent floats to the surface. It smells like waffle cones. Then I see the neon ice cream sign in the window. I see a hoodie, and I think it's attached to a person. And this one is pink, with some white swirls and chocolate-colored shapes. I've never seen this hoodie before, and that's the first signal that something is wrong. It's all a little too real. It doesn't feel like a dream anymore. It doesn't feel like I'm asleep. My thinking is too clear. And then I blinked once. 
and suddenly the gray shattered like a champagne glass against a granite countertop. The gray snapped away, the sounds grew louder, and I was awake, and I was definitely not in my apartment, and I was definitely not in my bed. I was in the ice cream shop, and Sam was standing over me, looking like he had just seen a ghost. It was me. I was the ghost. I looked up at Sam, and he stared at me for a moment before dropping into the booth beside me and fixing me in a very bleak stare. Okay, I'm losing it, he said. He dropped his head into his hands and then turned to look at me again. You weren't there ten seconds ago, like literally like I'm not trying to be funny. You weren't there ten seconds ago. Looking around, I forced myself to sit up straight. How did I get here? I don't remember walking. I looked down at my legs only to realize that I was still wearing my plaid pajama bottoms and tank top. A draft hit my bare arms and I shivered for more reasons than one. Why does he got to keep this ice cream shop so cold? Shouldn't he keep it hot so that people want to buy a bunch more ice cream? How did I get here? I asked. My voice sounded groggy, disembodied almost. He stared at me. His expression was dead, like he couldn't believe I even had the nerve to ask. I don't know, he answered evenly. I looked up and you were there, but you weren't there five seconds ago. You didn't come in. You didn't open the door. You were just there, in the booth. That's obviously impossible, I said, but even as I spoke, I couldn't help but think about my strange dream and how it felt just like I had been teleported here. I looked at him, waiting for him to come up with an explanation. I don't know why I thought he would be able to when I couldn't. Yeah, it is impossible, he said. But it happened. So, care to explain how that works? His voice was quiet, but his tone was insistent. Thankfully, Sam seemed to be the only one who had noticed me. A quick survey of the three or four other customers revealed that they were all too caught up in their coffee to take note of me in my strange state. What time is it? I asked, for some reason caring about the possibility of being late to class. 7.15, he said. He took a deep breath and got up. Let me get you a coffee, he said. Then we're going to check the security footage and find out if we're both crazy or if you're magic. Two minutes later, Sam came back with a mug of coffee. It was light and airy and topped with dry foam, and it looked like he had added just about every kind of sprinkle in the building. I got up and followed Sam as quickly as I could into the back. We sidled in between a couple of tall racks covered in cartons of sprinkles and coffee syrup refills and made our way to the back of the room. There was a computer set up at a rather tired-looking desk. Sam seemed to have done everything possible to spruce up his workstation. There was an old garland made out of paper jack-o'-lanterns and several family photos, including shots taken at Lana and Sam's college graduations. He had cut out several Pearls Before Swine comic strips and tacked them up to a cork board. There was also a literal pyramid of tiny white espresso mugs behind his monitor, just like his sister. 
He was trying so hard to look like he belonged here, but the Seattle Skyline screensaver and mouse pad suggested otherwise. We weren't here to assess Sam's life plans, though. We were here to find out whether or not I had truly sleep-teleported into this tiny ice cream shop in this tiny and strange town. There had to be another explanation, right? That could not actually be what happened. Sam leaned over his desk and clicked on a folder on his desktop. The file opened up to some CCTV footage, and I automatically leaned closer to get a better look. The black and white footage was angled toward the door, but from this vantage point, I could see most of the tables as well. This is the one you showed up at, Sam said, tapping one of the booths with a knuckle. It was about five or six minutes ago, so let's rewind the tape. He rewound it for a few seconds before setting it to play again. I held my breath as I watched the empty seat, hoping beyond hope that I would appear in the doorway instead of the booth. Waiting literally felt like waiting for a jump scare as the suspenseful music swelled in the background. I was about to glance at the door when suddenly, I appeared in the booth, slumped over, still asleep. It didn't look real. Here on this little computer screen in this back room, it looked like a basic edit job from somebody's college film class assignment. I had never so badly wanted to believe that my life was somebody's college assignment. This was a simulation, right? This had to be a simulation. There was no way that this could be real. No way, Sam muttered. He rewound the video and replayed the moment, and though I wanted to look away, I couldn't. My eyes remained fixed on the screen where I sat, made up of nothing but mists and magic, materialized in a way that was utterly impossible. Sam turned to face me, and though he didn't look angry, his eyes had taken on a somber and determined note. What, what is that? He asked. How did you do that? I blinked. Up until now, I hadn't even had time to consider that this might cause Sam to distrust me. Now that he was sitting there looking at me like that, though, it made total sense. Sam really hardly knew me at all, all things considered. We had only met a few months ago, and for all he knew, I might be a vampire or a witch or a werewolf or something. In all honesty, he really had no reason to trust me, and I had no reason to think that he would be by my side helping me through this thing. Honestly, Sam... I said, I have no idea. I raised my hands defensively. I, I know this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me either. What, what am I supposed to do with this? He stood up and I couldn't help but notice that he started backing toward the door. At first I didn't get it. Why was he backing away? Was he afraid? No one had ever been afraid of me in my whole life. I realized immediately that though, in theory, people being afraid of me might be nice, it wasn't actually a nice feeling. Not like this. Look, I said, taking a matching step back. I don't know what's happening here. I know that I have vivid dreams. I know that when I was a kid I would sleepwalk sometimes, but I don't know anything about this. I felt alone. 
I felt like I was unreachable, swept out to sea by a fast current, already way too deep for Sam or anybody else to throw me a line. I looked at him and it was like he was already distant, like the edges of my reality were crumbling. What was it with this town? It was like something evil had settled here. Something intent on destroying everything that had once been good and peaceful and okay. But Sam seemed to believe me at least, because he nodded and stepped forward again. He picked up one of his atrocious ice cream hoodies and handed it to me. You look cold, he said. I laughed, although it felt pretty strained. So there it was. I was going to put on that weird hoodie and Burning Rock, Washington was going to own me for the rest of my life. I might as well just give up and open a t-shirt shop on the boardwalk. In that moment, I imagined myself still there 10, 15, 30 years later. I picture friends and family tying me to one point in space and time to this one cove trapped on the edge of an everlasting ocean. It scared me. It scared me more than the idea of working a dead-end job. It scared me more than the idea of being alone. When you're working as a line cook, you still have dreams. When you're alone, you have freedom. But I couldn't stay here. I couldn't be here forever. And I was afraid that it would be all too easy to stay to just simply lose the motivation to do anything else. I reached out and took the hoodie, and I told myself that it was because I was cold. October 2007. After cake, Crown says something mysterious about how I need to entertain myself for half an hour, and then I can meet everyone down at the beach. I know immediately what this means, of course. The only reason any of my friends ask me to meet them on the beach after dark is if they want to play a game of ghosts. I decide I'll take the opportunity to record an episode of Burning Rock Radio. The show is a podcast now. After I dropped out of college, I no longer had access to the radio studio, so I struck out on my own. I offered to keep doing the radio program for the school, but... They said no, that slot was for students, which made sense. I understood. I understood, but I still stole the name and my audience came with me. I'm supposed to release an episode tomorrow and I'm still not even sure what I'm going to be talking about. Thankfully, I'm better at winging things like this than I used to be. I spend a few minutes setting up the new mic. It really is beautiful, and I find myself smiling in spite of myself. Crown knows me well after all these years. Welcome to Burning Rock Radio, I say, once I'm fully finished setting up my recording studio. I don't have a lot of time tonight because it's my birthday, and wouldn't you know it, my buddy is down on the freezing cold beach setting up a little game we like to call Ghosts. I wonder if the others are going to call me out for talking about ghosts on the radio. It all seems so trivial now. I adjust the sound levels on my computer and keep talking. The name makes it sound pretty lighthearted, I say, but it's actually terrifying. 
For one thing, you play it at night by moonlight alone. For another thing, all players must remain entirely silent for the duration of the game. You're listening to Burning Rock Radio. I spend the next 30 minutes talking about the new Nancy Drew movie. I hadn't particularly liked it, but it reminded me of my childhood and made me feel extremely safe to the point that I almost wanted something to come along and freak me out. At the end of the episode, I turned toward my window, looking out at the windswept trees and the moonlit night. After all these years, there are very few parts of me that remain hopeful. Perhaps my most hopeful moments come at the end of these podcasts, when I turn to look out the window into the vast, unknowable ocean and murmur into the mic. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon.